Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Valentine's Day. Uh, I know it had a lot going on on Wednesday, but if you have a Valentine, I hope that you took time on Wednesday to stop and to thank God that you have a Valentine in your life. And I hope that you weren't just thankful to God, but I hope that you went to that person that you cherish, that you love, that you care about, and that you actually verbalize. You told them what they mean to you. Because I believe there's something powerful about communicating with words the value another person has in your life. And all the women are like, amen. If only you could help my man know how to do that. That would be so good. I, uh, years ago, I worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and uh, they're an organization here in Kansas City, and they try to help people through sports, um, through the influence of coaches and athletes know Jesus. And so I worked for them, and as my time of employment was coming to a close with them, uh, my boss invited me and Missy over to his house. And uh, I knew that, you know, we weren't going to be working there much longer. Well, what he had done is he invited everybody that we worked with to be at his house. And when I got there, they positioned me in the center of this circle in their living room. And for the next hour or so, they took turns going around and saying what I meant to each and every one of them. And there's something powerful about sitting there and hearing these people speak words of life and appreciation and value over you. Uh, I hadn't had a lot of relationship with my boss's wife, but she all of a sudden was speaking to me. And she says, I'll never forget when you got hired at FCA because my husband changed when you worked there. And I had a different man at home because of you. Well, man, that was meaningful that this guy was more available to his wife, to his kids. And I would never have known the impact I had on her and her family had she not taken the time to slow down, to take the awkwardness of the moment and to verbalize what I meant to her. And I think that there's something for each and every one of us that we need that in our lives. We need someone to come and to speak about how much value we have. And we also need to communicate that to others. But the problem is, is that we're not all comfortable with honest communication. We would rather just kind of, you know, avoid that. I might cry. I might well up. I might, you know, have a moment. And I don't want to have that with you. And so we sometimes avoid honest communication that is real and truthful because we just are too uncomfortable in our own skin. But honest communication, as we talked this morning, is the foundation for any relationship to thrive. Uh, during a wedding ceremony, we've had a number of weddings in this sanctuary, uh, the bride and the groom, they come forward and they each take turns honestly communicating their intentions for marriage to one another. In fact, we call it an exchange of vows. They are making promises to one another. They're verbalizing those promises and, and their relationship essentially begins with them giving each other their word to love, to cherish, to honor, to protect, in sickness and health, in good times and the bad times for the rest of their lives. Honest communication is essential for relationships to grow. And an interesting part of my job as a pastor is I get the opportunity to help couples communicate with one another. 
Um, sometimes I'm invited to provide marriage counseling for couples who are struggling. Other times I have couples who are getting ready to get married, and they're like, hey, would you perform our wedding ceremony? And I say, you bet, as long as we can meet together and have some pre-marriage counseling sessions. They're like, well, how many? Is this like a 30-minute talk about where we squeeze the toothpaste? No, that is not what we're talking about. What we're going to talk about is about six weeks of at least an hour-long session to prepare you for marriage because there's a, man, there's a lot of relationship killers out there. In fact, what are the top three relationship killers for marriage? Number one, communication. Number two, financial issues. Number three, sexual expectations. Most marriages struggle in end in divorce because of communication, financial issues, and sexual issues. You say, well, wow, you take six weeks to talk about those three things? No, those are just the top three. There's a lot of other things that can kill relationships too. And so we talk about all of them. We talk about things like partner styles and habits. We talk about leisure activities. When you're the guy and you want to go play pickup basketball three nights a week, your future wife doesn't always appreciate that. There's things we talk about. We talk about your family of origin. We talk about where you came from. What things in your home that you were raised with, you say, yeah, I want to emulate my parents' marriage in this regard in my marriage. And some of you are like, what are you talking about, emulate my parents' marriage? Well, then we talk about your family origin, what you don't want to emulate from your parents in your future marriage. Like, I definitely don't want to have this type of a relationship. We investigate those things because your family of origin shapes how you view things to a large degree. We, we talk about uh, the, the guy's individual opinion about the girl's friends and family. Then we talk to her about her opinion of his friends and his family because those are relationship killers if we don't address some of them early on. Uh, we talk about spiritual beliefs. We talk about the desire for children. She wants five children. He wants no children. That's a relationship killer. We got to work through these things. Um, we do individual stress profiles. What's weighing on them? What's carrying on them? What, are they, what do they got? Um, and we also talk about, of course, maybe one of the most important is conflict resolution, right? If you don't know how to resolve conflict, you're not going to have great relationships, right? Um, conflict's inevitable. Conflict is not bad, but what we do with conflict is really a big deal. And so here's what I've come to believe, and, and this is just uh, my opinion, that almost all, I think that's correct, almost all potential relationship killers can be managed, can be overcome, can be worked through, keyword here, if couples are willing to talk through them. That's good news. So whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, if you're willing to talk through them, almost all can be managed, can be dealt with, can be overcome if you're willing to talk through them. But this here, of course, is where the problem is, is that we're not good at the honest communication. We're not always good at talking through them. We're not always good at sharing our feelings. We're not always good at communicating so that the other person can understand. And then sometimes we're not good at listening to the other person share their feelings and we don't understand. And so to the degree that we are unable to communicate is the degree to which we will experience frustration and disagreement and we'll feel like they've got an ego problem and pride that will have friction and that there'll be conflict in their relationship. Now the good news is that the Bible can help us in our communication. And so next time you're in a fight, 
with your significant other. I want you to throw some Bible darts at them. These are going to be some of the best comeback lines, and there's nothing they can say because it's straight from the Bible. Are you guys ready to memorize some scripture today? Here we go. When you get in that fight, you quote Job 13, 5. that says, if only you would shut up and let that be your wisdom. Or 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. Of course I'm aware of it. Calm down. <laughs> just quoting the Bible. It's just good stuff here. Nehemiah 13, 21. If I see, if, if, if you do so, again, I will lay hands on you. 1 <laughs> Thessalonians 4, 11. Hey, try your best to live quietly and mind your own business. If, you, if your husband's out of order and you're in the heat of the moment and you want to say something, 1 Samuel 20, 30 is good. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. There's no need to bring the mother-in-law into it, but you can. It's just the Bible, y'all. Or you can go Jesus' words here, Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, you who are cursed. <laughs> Now, those are all real verses in the Bible. I didn't make any of those up. Um, however, I would not suggest using those if you want your relationship to be strong and to be good. Uh, the, but the Bible does. It does say a lot of things about the words that we use. Uh, near the center of your Bible is a book that's 31 chapters long called Proverbs. Uh, some people like to read a proverb a day because there's 31 and there's 31 days in most months. And so they like to read a proverb a day to get wisdom. And here's what the book of Proverbs has. It has hundreds of short, clever sayings uh, that contain wisdom. In fact, Proverbs chapter 1 starts off by attributing much of this wisdom literature that's collected here to Solomon, who is probably the wisest man in the ancient world. And so here's what we read in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, that their purpose of these Proverbs is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. The purpose of these Proverbs is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. Don't you want to have a successful life? To help them to do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser, and let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning of these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. And it says this final verse that we'll read here, that fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. In other words, for the fool, all of these Proverbs mean nothing. These Proverbs that teach wisdom and discipline because fools hate wisdom and they hate discipline. These Proverbs can actually lead a person into a successful life, into a more disciplined life, but if you're a fool, you will resist all that they have to teach. And what's crazy is when you start to actually look at the hundreds of one-liners that are contained really in chapters 10 to 29, they cover almost every subject that you could ever want to know about. They talk about family, they talk about work, marriage, generosity, how to handle debt, parenting, alcohol use, justice, forgiveness, and so much more. Some of you would benefit just to start reading a proverb a day. But Proverbs 15, in particular, helps us glean some wisdom on how to communicate. See, in Proverbs 15, we learn things like 
the importance of tone when we communicate. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You ever been in a fight and you didn't know what you were fighting about and it was all just because you were on level 10? It's not always what we say, but how we say it that matters. We also learn in Proverbs 15 that words can bring life or words can wound people. It says in verse 4 that the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. We learn that wise people consider what they say before they say it, but the fool doesn't. Verse 18 says a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a storm. Verse 7 says that the lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the heart of fools are not upright. Also, the the repeated truth really throughout the whole chapter is that a wise person listens to instruction and is open to correction, but a fool is not. Verse 10 says that whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined. Whoever hates correction will die. I want to give you this morning 10 communication skills to increase intimacy. We don't have a lot of time to really break these down, but I am going to give you all 10. So if you want to drop some notes down, this might be helpful. Number one, if you want to increase the intimacy that you have, if you want to have more honest and open communication, number one, give full attention to your partner when talking. Like turn off the phone, shut off the television. There's this thing called eye contact. Use it. Okay? Give full attention to your partner when they're talking. Number two, focus on the good qualities in each other and often praise each other. (coughs) I don't know how good you are at this, but it's way easier to focus on the negative qualities. It's so much easier to ignore the other person and the things that they do, but there's something about putting into words and praising them, thanking them, saying, hey, I'm so thankful that you empty the dishwasher every single day so that we have clean dishes. You're like, that's silly. You didn't empty it. Communicate if you have an appreciation for that person. Hey, I'm so thankful that you consistently pay our bills, that we don't have overdue notices. Hey, that's something to be thankful for. You're like, I didn't think, I just expected that. Well, that's the problem. When you expect something, you're not grateful for it. You feel it's deserved to you. But if we can have an attitude that I don't expect it and they're doing it, then it will give me a position of gratitude for them. Number three, you're going to have greater intimacy in your relationship. You need to be assertive. You got to share your thoughts and your feelings and your needs. There are some couples that really struggle to communicate to the person that they've committed their life to what their needs are. And a good way to be assertive without being critical is to use I statements rather than you statements. For example, I worry when you don't let me know when you're going to be home late, rather than you're always late and you never call. Avoid the you Avoid the all, avoid the never. I statements. Number four, avoid criticism. 
You want to have better intimacy? If all you do is critique the other person and put them down, you're not going to have a closeness and a oneness and a unity. Avoid the criticism. Number five, if you must criticize, balance it with at least one positive comment. For example, I appreciate how you take out the trash each week. In the future, can you remember to also wheel the trash can back in from the end of the driveway? See what we did there? <laughs> what they used to call it in middle school, the sandwich method? You compliment them, you tell them what you really need, you give them another compliment. It's the sandwich. Number six, listen in order to understand, not to judge or air your opinion. Number seven, use active listening. This always feels like a kindergarten exercise when I do this with couples, but active listening is where you summarize your partner's comments before sharing your own reactions or feelings. My wife tells me that she doesn't want me to talk about our sex life from the pulpit. <laughs> she doesn't mind if I talk about our marriage, but not our sex life. Um, so if I was active listening... What I would do is I would communicate and say, Missy, what I hear you saying is that you don't want me to talk about the most intimate parts of our relationship in front of other people because it makes you feel highly uncomfortable and unloved. That something that was intended to be private and just for us somehow or another is being shared by other people and laughing. Is that correct? And she's nodding already. She's letting me know that you've picked up the message. You're not just a dumb ox. Yes, you heard me. Thank you. Active listening. It's when we summarize what they say back to them. We put it in our own words, and then we wait for them to confirm that we got the message right. Because, bros, we're not always good at this. Sometimes we summarize, and they're like, no, you completely missed the point. And then we have to try active listening again and try again. Uh, number eight here would be to avoid blaming each other and work towards a solution. I know that sounds so simple, but like so often we get in there and we start pointing fingers and we start blaming the other person. And we know that we have like a percentage of responsibility in whatever the problem is, but we can't get to a solution because if, if you just have not done this, we wouldn't be in this problem. And we sometimes camp on the blame more so than moving on to the solution. And number nine, this is a novel idea. Hey, try praying together. You want to change your relationship? Try to talk to God together. I'll be honest, I'm a pastor. That's one of the most awkward, unusual things to do is to pray with another person, especially the one that you spent every day with that you committed the rest of your life to, to pray together. And don't use prayer as a weapon. I'll just throw that out there too. Maybe that's just because I grew up in church. You know, it's not like I'm going to get with my wife and be like, oh God. Please help Missy to get her head, uh, you know, you know, uh, God, you know what I mean, uh, just Holy Spirit move on her, like, don't, don't do that, like, you've got to pray together, right, like, not prayer darts, <laughs> there's Bible darts or prayer darts, don't do those. All right, and the last one, and, and this is, this needs to be said, it, is that there may come a time in your relationship that you need to seek counseling. And that's not a negative, it's not a, it's not, I think there's a generation that felt like to go to a therapist or to get a counselor 
with some sort of like critique on who you are that you couldn't do it on your own. But listen, if you're unable to resolve issues, seek counseling before they become more serious. When you just shut down or you blow up or you just hope that all the things will pass um, and, and you'll somehow or another find healthy relationship tendencies tomorrow, like we've got to be humble enough to be willing to get help when we need it. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 through 21, I'm going to go a little late today. It says that whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. That's right, you read that right. The Bible is actually calling some people a liar. If you claim to love God, but you hate your brother or sister, you're a liar. You don't really love God. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they've seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. In other words, to affirm one's love for the unseen while failing to love the seen is to enter into a realm of fantasy. Verse 21 says, And he, speaking of Jesus, has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Who gave us the command? Jesus. Jesus is God. Anyone who loves God, Jesus, must also love their brother or sister. If you don't love your brother or sister, you're disobeying the commandment giver who is God. Refusal to obey the command is evidence that you don't love the commander. And our love for God is shown by our love for people. And so as Christians, the one thing we're to be known for above all else is love. So often we measure our relationships by the years we spend together or the emotions that we have when we're with this other person. But our love as Christians should not be measured by the world standards, but rather by the amount of Christ-like love we have for each other. Learning to love others like Jesus is a little bit like learning math. If you don't know how to add or subtract, multiply and divide, you're never going to master calculus. And so your knowledge of one enhances your knowledge of the other. In the same way, the love that we have for one another is built upon the love that we have for God. And if we do not love God, who is perfect, then we're never going to figure out how to love others. The basic is loving God. The complex is loving others. It's easy to love a perfect God. It's hard to love imperfect people. But the more I love the perfect, the more he changes my heart, shapes me to where I can love those who are imperfect. Let me tell you a story. In 1999, anybody alive in 99? Anybody remember Y2K? That was a trip. There, there was a couple and they decided that they were going to elope. They decided that they were going to hop on a plane and fly to Las Vegas and get married. And so they found themselves standing in line in February at a little white chapel. And the line was long because it was Valentine's Day. And everybody wanted to get married on Valentine's Day. When finally their turn had come to get to the front of the line, the minister there, who was ordained, 
asked them what kind of service they would like for their wedding. They quickly passed on the Elvis tribute wedding and elected to have a, quote, Christian service as they had both began a relationship with Jesus. Now, without any family or any friends present, they made their wedding vows in Sin City. They, they moved, uh, they lived at the time in Colorado, they moved to Seattle before eventually moving to Kansas City where they put their roots down and had a daughter. And this Valentine's Day on Wednesday, they celebrated 25 years of marriage. And as they reflect back on the beginning of their relationship, on that marriage ceremony in Vegas at the Little White Chapel, they find themselves today wishing that God would have been more central in the foundation of their relationship. Over the past 25 years, they've both grown in their faith and their relationship with Jesus. They've encountered ups and downs. They've endured challenges. They've learned to trust Jesus with their future, with their finances, with their now college-aged daughter. But this morning, on their anniversary week, they would like to renew their marriage vows to one another. This time not in Sin City, but in their church. This time with their church family present and not with just an ordained minister named Pastor Howie, <laughs> but with their pastor. So would you put your hands together and celebrate 25 years of marriage for Bob and Michelle Riley as they join me on stage. All right, if you guys stand right here, and I'm going to have you face one another. <laughs> Look at you guys. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Times have changed, 25 years. Church family, we have come together in the presence of God and give thanks for the marriage of Bob and Michelle Riley. It's our privilege to surround them with our prayers and to share in their joy. The Lord God, in goodness, created us male and female, and by the gift of marriage, founded human community in a joy that begins now and is brought to perfection in the life to come. Bob and Michelle, you've shared the joys, blessings, and yes, the challenges of married life for 25 years. And today, February 18th, 2024, it's your wish to reaffirm your commitment to not only work together to make your marriage grow and blossom in the years to come, but to publicly declare your desire for Christ to be the center of your marriage. Bob, will you continue to have Michelle as your wife, and will you recommit yourself to her happiness and her self-fulfillment as a person, and to her usefulness in God's kingdom? And will you promise to love honor, trust, and serve her in sickness and in health, in adversity and prosperity, and to be true and loyal to her so long as you both shall live. I will. And Michelle, will you continue to have Bob as your husband? 
Will you recommit yourself to his happiness and his self-fulfillment as a person and his usefulness in God's kingdom? And will you promise to love, honor, trust, and serve him in sickness and in health, in adversity and prosperity, and to be true and loyal to him so long as you both shall live? I will. And church family, you don't get left out of this. All who are gathered here, will you support and care for Bob and Michelle? Will you pray for them in times of trouble? Will you give thanks to, for them in times of joy? And will you affirm the love of God reflected in their life together? If so, would you say, we will? We will. Bob and Michelle, on your wedding day, you exchanged rings as a sign and seal of your love. Though small in size, these rings are large in significance. They're made of precious metal, and they remind us that love is not cheap or common. They're made in a circle. Their design reminds us that love must be continuous. And the rings you have on your hands have been on those hands for quite a while. They may have scratches or nicks from years of wear, but I believe that serves as a symbol of the trials that come with marriage but also indicate the strength of your commitment. At this time, I think it's appropriate to reconfirm the meaning of the rings you wear. As Bob's hand is there on top, Bob, would you repeat after me? Michelle? Michelle. I wear this ring you placed on my hand, wear this ring you placed on my hand. as a symbol of my love and commitment to you. I pledge once again my life and love to you In the name of the Father, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And would you, Michelle, place your hands on top? And would you repeat after me, Bob? Bob. I wear this ring you placed on my hand. I wear this ring you placed on my hand. As a symbol of my love and commitment to you. I pledge once again my life and love to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to reveal your love to all people. We ask that Bob and Michelle's life together would show forth your love. And we thank you for providing them 25 years together. And we come today asking for your blessing on their future. May you make them quick to forgive quick to laugh, quick to enjoy, and quick to see the worth of each other. And as they come to know each other better, Lord, may they also grow in their knowledge of you so that their home is always a reflection of eternal values. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now that Bob and Michelle have given themselves <laughs> to each other by solemn vows, before us and before God as witnesses, and have shown their affection by the giving and receiving of rings and by joining hands, I conclude this ceremony of the renewing of their marriage vows that joined them and binds them as husband and wife. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. To celebrate this renewal of vows, Bob, you may kiss your bride.
As we prepare to dismiss today, Bob and Michelle are going to step down here. If you want to come and greet them and hug them, you may do so. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.